Welcome to everyone. Thank you for being here and worshiping God with us on this beautiful Lord's Day. I trust that our minds have been upon our great and good God this morning as we have opened our hearts and our mouths and singing praises to Him as we have uh, opened our hearts and mouths as we have come before His throne of mercy and grace, as we have opened our minds to remember the eternal love that He has shown to each one of us in His Son, Jesus Christ, as we have gathered around the table of our Lord this morning and we have eaten His supper together. And I hope that our minds and our hearts will continue to be attuned to God this morning as we open His Word and as we study some good things together. As Brother Stephen already mentioned, we have a number of our own that are away from us today, but we have uh, such a good number of visitors, it seems, and we are certainly glad that you have chosen to come and to worship God with us. We consider you to be our guest among us this morning, and we hope that everything that we do today will be encouraging and edifying to each one of us so that will glorify God. And we, if it's possible for you to stick around for a few minutes after we are dismissed in a little while, that we can have an opportunity to get to know you better, and we can uh, be an encouragement to you as you have been to us. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that our brother Richard read just a few moments ago in just a moment. So if you want to open your Bible there, go ahead and turn to that particular text. When we look at our world today and we see that our world really is the same that it has been since sin has come into it, we look into our world and we see that from our perspective, it just seems to be one big mess. It can cause us to lose heart. It can cause us to become discouraged to the point that we begin to ask questions like, what's the use? Or we may begin to think, why am I even trying to be different? Why am I trying to live like Christ when so much of the world seems to be living in a different way? But also, I think when we look at our world today, and yes, we look at it realistically, we look at it honestly, and we see the mess that our world is in from a moral and spiritual standpoint, it can also energize us so that we might ask questions like, what can I do to make a difference in this world? Or what can I do to bring about change? And that can maybe excite us, energize us again, but it can be a very overwhelming thought, can it? Because our world is large. And we begin to think as individuals, what, what can I do? to make a difference here in this world. One thing that Scripture says that all of us can do, all of us who belong to Jesus Christ can do to carry out God's eternal purpose for people all over the world is for us to pray. And so this morning we're going to see how our prayers, how all people in God's purpose kind of all come together. They all meet together and they all come together to bring about real change in the sin-sick world in which we find ourselves living today. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, really captures that thought for us here in the text that we're going to look at this morning. So Brother Richard's already read that for us, but let's read it once again. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes here, he says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come. 
to the knowledge of the truth. As we again look at these few verses this morning, we want to pull out these three thoughts about prayer, people, and purpose, and how all of that comes together to affect real change in our world. And so we begin this morning by thinking about what the Apostle Paul says to us about prayer. Notice again at verse 1, the first part of that verse, he says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings. I think it is significant that the Apostle Paul begins not only this verse, but he begins not only this section, he begins this chapter by saying to Timothy and to us as we are reading and thinking about it this morning, first of all, what exactly does he mean by that? What is the significance, do you think, of that phrase? Well, as you think back to how the apostle began this letter to the young evangelist Timothy back in chapter 1, Paul opened this letter, I think, by giving Timothy some personal instructions about how he as an evangelist is to fight the good fight of faith. He talks to him early in the first part of the book in chapter 1 about there's going to be some who will try to lead people astray, even some here in the city of Ephesus where he is working. And he is encouraging him. He's using even himself as an example of how God has saved him through Jesus Christ and how God has been patient with him and God has used him. But then he begins to give, I think, in all of that, telling Timothy how he can do his work as an evangelist, as a preacher of the gospel of Christ, and giving him some instructions that he needs to know for the work that he has been called to do. But now, I believe, beginning with chapter 2 and really continuing through the rest of this book, the Apostle Paul turns his attention to instructions that Timothy not only needed to know himself about his own life and about his own work, but here are some instructions Paul begins to give Timothy that he needs to turn around and teach or instruct the saints that he was working with at Ephesus. And the very first one of these that ought to impress us, the very first instruction that Paul gives to Timothy that he is to turn around and teach other Christians is found here in verse 1 of chapter 2. First of all, it is an instruction, of course, about prayer. And so by saying, first of all, I believe Paul was pointing out that prayer is of the utmost importance In our lives as Christians, prayer deserves a special priority. It should be at the top of our priority list. As we live from day to day as God's people, it deserved a special importance and a special priority in the life of the Christians there in Ephesus during the first century. It deserves that for us in the 21st century as well. I don't know how many of you in the audience this morning are list people. I know Gavin is. (laughs) I am a list person. If I'm going to get anything done, I've got to make a list of things to do. And so usually toward the end of the week, maybe Friday of uh, of a week, I will, you know, if if hopefully I've gotten everything done for Sunday by a Friday afternoon, I will just make a to-do list of things I need to do the next week. Whether you sit down and do that actually or not, I think all of us in some way and to some degree, we do that in our minds, don't we? We we make lists of things. Uh, We have priorities in our minds. We have priorities in our lives. And if you were going to make a daily list of priorities, I'm asking you this morning as I think the Apostle Paul again in saying, first of all, here are some instructions about prayer would ask, would prayer be at the very top of your priority list? If someone maybe were to look at your daily schedule, the things that you do from day to day, maybe it's 
at home in, in bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it, whatever you do from day to day, if someone were to look at your calendar and to look at your schedule, where they see that prayer is the number one item on the agenda, where they see that prayer is something that you engaged in, not just when you got up in the morning or not just when you sat down to eat meals or not just when you laid your head on the pillow at night, but prayer is something that you were engaging in throughout the day. Because I believe the Apostle Paul was not just giving this instruction to Timothy to say, first of all, a first priority, you need to be concerned about prayer yourself and you need to teach the brethren at Ephesus about prayer. But the Apostle Paul, as we look at his life as a Christian, he certainly was one who made prayer a priority. And what do you think about when you think about the Apostle Paul? Maybe you think about a number of things, but I'm thinking about a connection between Paul and Jesus as we have been doing some lessons this year in our congregational theme about being more like Jesus, as we've been studying in the men's class, if any of you men want to join us on Friday mornings at 6.30 through the Gospel of Mark the last few months, Jesus led a very busy life here on earth, didn't he? His life was very hectic. As Mark, especially that gospel writer, kind of gives us a condensed version of some of the conversations that Jesus had and some of the miracles that he performed, some of the people that he ran into. And Mark just moves very quick, quickly from one event and one miracle and one conversation to the other. You just kind of get the sense, maybe reading through Mark's gospel, that Jesus was just going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And yet Jesus, as we've already seen this year in a prior lesson, he made time, he took time to get off to the mountain, to get off into the wilderness and to pray to his father. And so it was for the Apostle Paul that he made prayer a priority in his hectic life. And he taught us to do the same. Just a few verses for you to consider. In Ephesians chapter 6, after Paul describes for us there, the armor of God and, and instruction encourages us to put on the whole armor of God. Then he gets to verse 18, and sometimes maybe we don't think about prayer as being a piece in the armor of God, but I, I believe it is very valuable. That, that if we put on the breastplate and we shod our feet and we put on all these pieces that make up the complete armor of God, and yet we leave prayer out, we're leaving out something very vital. We are vulnerable to our enemy, the devil, as Paul describes in that text. But notice he says here at Ephesians 6 and verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. You can see the importance that prayer had in Paul's life. You can see the urgency that Paul is urging these brethren, as you put on the armor of God, then you need to kind of bathe it, if you will, in prayer. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, as he was asking the Christians there in the church at Colossae to pray for him, as he was back in Ephesians chapter 6 of that church, he says in Ephesians 4 and verse 2, to devote yourselves to prayer. Not just something that you do out of habit, not just something because, hey, we're sitting down as a family to eat a meal and it's time for us to pray, but something that we have devoted ourselves to, something that we are focusing on in our life each day. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think we probably know these words of Paul very well. Verses 17 and 18, he tells us back in the previous verse, we are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything to give thanks. And all of these passages and others that we could consider this morning, here is the Apostle Paul emphasizing how important, how significant prayer is in the life of those of us who are Christians. 
And so having established, as we come back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 2 here at the early part of verse 1, having established the priority of prayer, then the Apostle Paul urges us to engage in every kind of prayer. And notice these types or kinds of prayers that he mentions here in verse 1. He says that we need to be people who are offering entreaties or supplications, depending upon what your translation says. This, in my mind, is kind of talking about specific prayers. These are praying about specific things, specific needs that we have as individuals and asking God to supply those specific, those definite, those personal needs that we have. They could be of a physical nature. They could be of a spiritual nature. They could be of a relational nature. But just the needs that we have from day to day that we are very specific with God, not that God doesn't know those needs already, but we are petitioning Him, we are asking Him to supply the needs that we have. He says secondly here that we ought to offer prayers to our God. I think this word from best I can tell is kind of a general normal request. I don't know exactly what that means. I think all of our prayers as we pray to God, whether it's individually and as much as those of us who are men can do that publicly. I know sometimes it's not, uh, maybe we don't have as much time publicly or maybe we just, our minds forget even if we write a list of things. Sometimes maybe we're not as specific as we are in our private prayers as we are in our public prayers. But as much as we can be specific to God, we ought to be specific, but maybe there is, there, there isn't a, a need in our life that is just glaring, that is standing out, that, that we are feeling the weight of, the burden of, and we are asking God to supply. Maybe things are going along kind of fine in our life, but we still need to communicate with God. And so the Apostle Paul says we need to be busy in prayers. Third, the third word he uses here in this verse is petitions or intercessions. And this again, like entreaties and supplications, is asking something that's specific, maybe some urgent needs that other people have. So we're not only praying for ourselves and our own lives and our own walk as Christians, but we are praying for those who are around us, whether they are brothers and sisters in Christ or whether they're people in the world. And then the fourth word that he uses here, of course, is thanksgivings. As we just saw back in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, that we're to pray without ceasing in everything, he says, we are to give thanks. And that ought to be true, really, of every prayer that we offer to God, that we are thinking about God, we are expressing our gratitude and our thanksgiving to Him for who He is, for what He has done in our life, for the prayers that He has answered, not only on our behalf as He has answered our entreaties, but also as He has answered our petitions and intercessions for others that we are thanking God for answered prayers. Even sometimes when the answer that He gave us to our prayer was not what we were looking for, not what we were expecting, that we can still wrap all of that in thanksgiving to God. And as you look at these four words, I, I don't really think it's the case that we just have to say, okay, today I'm going to offer to God a supplication, or today I'm going to offer to God a, a petition for someone else, or today I'm going to thank God. We can certainly do that. I'm not saying that. But a lot of times I think in our prayers we find all four of these elements wrapped up, don't we? That we are praising God for who He is. We are thanking Him for what He has done for us. We are asking that God would supply the needs that we have as well as the needs of those around us. 
And so in listing these types of prayers, I, I want you to notice that Paul here uses plural words. He says, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. So it, it is almost as if Paul is drawing attention once again to our need to make prayer a priority in our daily lives. Not that we just petition God once about some some problem, some challenge that we're dealing with in our life, and then we don't ever mention it again. <laughs> but he's saying this ought to be ongoing for us as Christians. We ought to be, again, people who are constantly in prayer. And so the first thing as we think about what Paul says here, these instructions that Timothy was to instruct the saints in at Ephesus, if we desire to cause real change in the world, we all must make prayer a priority. And sometimes we may think, well, I'm too busy. <laughs> I just don't have time to sit down and to talk to God. I don't have time to pour out my soul to God like the psalmist of old did. But if we are really serious about change as we look at what, where our world is currently in the state of our world, if we are serious about change, one way that we can affect change is to make all kinds of prayer a priority. And that is the case because our prayers are connected to people and they affect the lives of people around us, not just ourselves. And so the Apostle Paul continues here at the end of verse 1 and he says, This is why I am urging that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made, that they be made on behalf, he says, of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So having established already the principle of the priority that prayer ought to have within our lives, the Apostle Paul then tells us here at the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2 that our continual prayers, our daily prayers, are to be on behalf of all people. With, he says, a special emphasis upon people who are in positions of authority, people who are in positions of power. It is certainly right and good for us to pray for ourselves. We've already talked about that in the word petition, that we are praying for ourselves. It is right and good for us to pray for our families. It is right and good for us to pray for our brethren, to pray for one another. And we ought to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to do that. But Paul, I think, is pointing out here that it is also right and good for us to pray for people in the world, people that we will never meet in this lifetime. And to, especially as we're praying for people everywhere, to have a special emphasis in our prayers for those who have authority over us, for people in government positions. Why, why do you think the Apostle Paul pulls that out when he says at the end of verse 1 that we need to be praying on behalf of all men, but especially for kings and all who are in authority? Why does he pull out kings and all those who are in authority from that phrase, all men or all people? Well, I want you to think, and we're going to go to Romans chapter 13 here in just a moment, but what, what kind of work did God originally give government to do? And how does the mission, the work that God gave government to do, impact our daily lives, just as people, much less as followers of Jesus Christ? So I want you to turn there in your Bible for just a moment to Romans chapter 13, as the Apostle Paul gives us some instructions as to the kind of citizens that we ought to be, whatever, in whatever nation we find ourselves living in, 
whatever kind of government we find ourselves living under, here are some instructions. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, Paul writes here, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister, a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Yes, Paul is is giving the Roman Christians, he is giving us some instructions about how we are to uh, live under government. But he's also, I think, telling us here about government itself. And he's saying at least one thing I think he says in these four verses that we just read is that God created governments to keep order. God created governments to keep order in this disorderly world. The world in which Paul lived, I don't think it was a whole lot different from the world in which we live. As he looked out into his world, surely the thoughts ran through his mind as he went from place to place throughout the Roman Empire. This world is in a mess. (laughs) This world is enslaved to sin. This world is under the influence of the one who is the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself. And Paul is reminding these Christians and us that God created government for a good purpose to keep order in this disorderly world. He gave government rulers the authority to protect people who are doing good with their life, but also at the same time to punish people who are doing evil. And yet we know in reading these verses, surely as these first century Roman Christians knew (laughs) that not all governing authorities fulfill their God-given mission, do they? Just like God has given instructions for husbands and wives, for spouses to each other, and not everybody who is married fulfills those instructions. God has given some instructions and some authority to parents over their children, and not every parent proves themselves to be a parent who is trying to live their life and instruct their children by God's principles And yet that does not negate the purpose of government as to why God ordained and established government. And therefore, maybe even because all governing authorities do not fulfill their God-given mission, there are some governments throughout history that have gone after those who have been doing good, those who have been trying to live like Christ and persecuted them so that they suffered tremendously for that while letting those who are doing evil go free. Therefore, the Apostle Paul, I believe, says to us back in our text that we must pray for all, he says, who are in authority. And I think as we pray for those who are in authority over us from a government standpoint, that we pray for them to be true ministers of God, that they might know their mission, they might know their role and their work, and they might fulfill that. And that all, I believe, means all. Whether we like those people individually or not, whether we in our country voted for those people or not, whether we agree with the laws that they pass or the laws that they enforce or the laws that they choose not to pass or choose not to enforce. He says you pray for all kings and all who are in authority. And that includes leaders on the local level, the state level, the national level, and yes, even the international level. 
And we may be looking at things that are going on in our world today that are thousands of miles away from where we live, and we think they don't really impact us that much. But there are Christians, from what I understand, in in Ukraine, and there are Christians in other parts of the world, even uh, countries that are very much closed off, that don't want the gospel to even be talked about, much less for anybody to come in and teach people the good news of Jesus Christ. God's people are all over this world. And we need to be praying for those who are in authority over them. And so secondly, the Apostle Paul, as he talks, has talked about prayer, now talks about people. If we desire to bring about real change in our world, I think we have to expand the scope of our prayers We have to expand the scope of our prayers, not just to include ourselves, not just to include brethren that we know, not just to include our own little corner of the world. But I think Paul is trying to get these Christians, he's wanting Timothy to instruct the Christians here in Ephesus and us, that our prayers need to include all people. Because God certainly can work through all people. Brother Nahn in his class on Jeremiah this morning kind of started this class this quarter by giving us a a timeline of history of not only the kings of Judah, but uh, even some kings of other nations. And God can use those people. And we see some of those mentioned to us in Scripture, don't we? We see that God can use some very wicked men, men who don't even believe that He exists to accomplish His purpose. But He is counting upon us to include those people in our prayers so that real change can be effected in our world. And the third point and final point that we want to make here from this text in 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning is to bring in this idea of purpose, of God's purpose. So he continues there, the Apostle Paul does at the end of verse 2, and he gives us a so what. Why, why is he urging that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, and especially those who are kings and all who are in authority. It is so that, the middle of verse 2, we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, giving persistent prayer of all kinds for all people a priority in our lives as Christians, it has, I think Paul is saying here, it has a profound impact on God's eternal purpose for us who are His, certainly. But it has, an inter- it has an impact on God's eternal purpose for all people whom He has created. As His chosen people, though, in Jesus Christ, God's purpose for us is to be what the Apostle Paul says here. It is so that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity or reverence. It is God's purpose for us to be His holy people, that we can lead these peaceable lives, that even when there is a lot of confusion going on around us, even when there is a lot of turmoil and strife, not only maybe in our own personal life, but in, the, in our world, that we can still have a peace inside of us, a peace that comes from knowing that we are right with God, that we are living in a way that pleases Him. He wants us to live these tranquil, peaceful, quiet lives. He wants us to be people who have a serious devotion and a serious reverence and respect for Him. 
And that is true wherever we find ourselves living. Whatever the political climate is in our country or in other countries around the world, whatever social or economic conditions we are experiencing or our world is experiencing, He wants us to pray for all men and especially those people in positions of authority so that we can be this kind of people. That we can live holy lives in tranquility. In some ways, I believe, it is easier for us to do this when those who are in authority over us make and enforce laws that allow us to live that way without fear of persecution. But you can read through, you know, the book of Acts. There were times like at the end of Acts chapter 9 when Luke makes a statement to us that the churches in Judea that they enjoyed peace and the, and the church continued to grow. The gospel continued to spread. It flourished. It thrived. But for most of the book of Acts, there, there is opposition. There is persecution. There is suffering. And even in those conditions, the gospel continued to, to spread like wildfire until, you know, Paul and his traveling companions come into the city and they say, these men have turned the world upside down figure of speech for sure, but true nonetheless. And so, yes, that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of country you live in as a Christian. It doesn't matter what kind of laws your rulers make or don't make or enforce or don't enforce. Christianity can still spread. It can still thrive. It can still get into the hearts of men and women and change our lives. But in some ways, I believe it is easier for us to do this when those who are in authority over us are such that they allow us to lead this tranquil and quiet life. As people made in His image, God's purpose for all humanity is for everyone to be saved through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is for everyone, as He mentions here in verses 3 and 4, for everyone to come to a full or complete, a true knowledge of the truth that God has revealed to us. And God's desire, of course, for all people to do that is so strong that He sent His one and only Son, His unique Son, Jesus the Christ, here to this world to be the God-man, to be God in the flesh, to be God with us, to give Himself ultimately upon the cross as a ransom for all, to be the mediator that goes between God and man. And so we didn't read these couple of verses, but as you continue here at verse 5, I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. He says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. Was Paul just trying to fill some space on a scroll here, a piece of paper? So he just stuck verses 5 and 6 in here. No, I believe it has very much connection to verses 1 through 4. And as I'm trying to get you to see how all of this ties in, that our prayers as we're praying for all people, and especially for those who are in a position to uh, effect change in the world, that all of that ought to be not just on our own comfort, not just saying that we can live tranquil and peaceful lives because, hey, we don't want to have any problems in life, but there is a purpose for that, and it is so that we can live God's purpose And we can tell others of God's purpose for them in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we petition our great God, yes, certainly on behalf of ourselves, 
But we petition our great God on behalf of all people that we may have this kind of environment that allows us to freely spread the saving gospel to all people, including those who are government authorities, to the end that all might be saved from their sins. This may be, you may have to turn a page back in your Bible. It may be on the opposite side of the page from 1 Timothy chapter 2. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I like the words of the Apostle Paul here. And as he was asking his brethren to pray for him and his co-workers as they went out to disseminate God's purpose to the world. He says, finally, brethren, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. The Apostle Paul saw, I believe, this connection, this intersection between prayer, people, and purpose. And he was asking his brethren as he went out to preach the good news of Christ, that they would be rescued from evil men, but also that the word of the Lord would be glorified through their efforts. And so, if we desire to effect real change in our world, we must align our prayers with God's eternal purpose for all people. Sometimes, again, we may look at our world and we may think, what can I do? And I'm not saying to you this morning in this lesson that prayer is the extent of how we need to interact with our world, that it is all that we can do to try to change our world and to bring about God's purpose for His creation. But I am saying it is a vital part. If we leave prayer out, we are leaving, in essence, I think, God out. And if we leave Him out of our work here on earth, we are not going to be successful at all. So these three things from 1 Timothy 2, prayer, people, and purpose, when these three things meet, I believe they will result in real change. What about you this morning as you think about your own life, as you think about your relationship or lack thereof with Jesus Christ? Do you need to experience real change in your life? I think all of us, if we are honest with ourselves, even if we've been Christians for a number of years, we realize there are things we need to change, right? There are things we need to improve. There are things that we need to get out of our lives and out of our hearts and out of our minds. And there are things that we need to put in, in its place. It's a constant, ongoing process. But if you're not a child of God this morning, you need to experience real change. And that real change can only come through Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to come before this audience this very moment and confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ. He is the true Son of God, exactly who He claimed to be, who He shows us to be. And would you come this morning repenting of your sins? And would you come and be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism? And you can begin this journey with Jesus Christ that lasts for eternity. If as a child of God, you haven't been fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Maybe you haven't been praying as you should. Maybe you haven't been praying as fervently as you should. Maybe your prayers have been too limited. You've just been thinking kind of of yourself and your own situation, and you haven't been thinking about God's purpose being fulfilled throughout the world. Maybe sin has come into your life. You need to acknowledge that to God. He will forgive you, and He will give you the power and the strength that you need to continue on to live out His purpose in your life. Whatever your condition might be this morning, 
as we're about to sing this song, Stephen's going to lead us in. We're praying for you. We're praying for you to accept the invitation of Jesus Christ. We're praying for you to make your life right with him if you need to. If you want to do that very thing this morning, come to the front as we stand and as we sing.